0: From DLA Piper, this is the Beyond the Curve podcast. In this episode, DLA Piper partners Angela Grusa and Stephanie Fogel are joined by Maureen Hinton and Joseph Robinson of Global Data to discuss changes to the global grocery sector in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Hi there, this is Angela Grusa. I am joined today by my colleague Steph Fogel, and Steph and I could not be more thrilled today to have the opportunity to speak with Maureen Hinton and Joseph Robinson of Global Data. Global Data is a data analytics and consulting company. And today, Joe and Maureen, who serve respectively as the Director of Consulting and the Global Research Director, will be discussing with us the post-COVID-19 food and grocery landscape and what our DLA clients can expect moving forward. So welcome, Maureen and Joe. We're very happy to have you here today. Hello. It's nice to speak to you.
2: Thanks, Angela. Nice to speak to you.
1: So one of the things that Steph and I want to ask is, in your views, what occurred following COVID-19's global lockdown that has changed the food retailing landscape? And which, if any, of those changes are likely to be permanent?
3: I think the major change was because of the lockdown, there was this big shift towards food retailers because they were obviously essential retail, we all have to eat. And that has really driven the forecast for the year. So if you look at pre-COVID forecast, we were saying 5.1% global growth in food and grocery, and it's more like 8% now. But that's when you convert it into US currency. If you look at the US, for instance, the typical growth there was 3.5%. Now we're forecasting it somewhere around 12.5%, which is a massive increase. And so there has been this big focus on food and grocery retailers, and of course, mainly online as well. So I think that is something that is going to continue over the next couple of years, because it's attracted a lot more consumers that wouldn't have used online food and grocery previously. What do you think, Joe?
2: Yeah, well, I think the last few months have really highlighted the remarkable agility of the grocery industry across the different regions. Obviously, we're past the stockpiling point now, but we had in many markets the first few months of the pandemic the rush to buy, toilet roll, etc. Following that stockpiling, we've seen, as Maury mentioned, that increased demand, not only for food and grocery items, but to use grocery stores as well, because those were among the few stores that were still open. So they've been taking share away from non-food retailers, but they've also been taking share away from food service and restaurant operators too. And I think the response in terms of flexing the supply chain, in terms of increasing the online capacity, has really proven how agile the industry can be and has been.
3: Yeah, I think one of the things is that we're hearing from CEOs of supermarkets. The CEO was saying that their online business is three years ahead of where they expected it to be now because of the pressure that they had to have on online and how they've actually achieved that over a very short period. And I think it's meant that management across these different businesses have really started to rethink very quickly how they've got to meet this new demand. And I think that has really pushed them, but it's also made them think very differently about their businesses and how they're going to manage it in future because they've had to stop and rethink and reset, it really made them much more flexible and much more innovative. Let me add another question
4: on the point you made because it's really very insightful and I think that's a lot of what Angela and I are seeing too with our clients in this space. In terms of restaurants who are also struggling and trying to get into the business and the marketing of selling ingredients more as a grocery as opposed to providing full pre-made meals, do you think that this will continue or maybe there will be more of a partnership with food retail directly or Will that just sort of peter off in the context of post-COVID?
2: Well, I think it's been really quite essential for the food service sector to respond proactively in that way. And obviously against the backdrop of closures, restrictions to capacity. Our data shows that in 2020, we expect food retailing to represent 78.1% of overall spend on food and beverages and food retail represents only 71.5% in 2019. So this year it's reaching an unprecedented level we've not seen for the last 40 odd years. So food service has been quite proactive, obviously fighting a bit of a uphill struggle, but there is certainly demand there. So The restrictions that have been placed both by consumers themselves in terms of being careful, but also top down from governments has meant that shoppers have been really looking for that restaurant experience at home. And who better to provide that than food service operators with things like meal kits, for example. So they'd be very proactive in responding to that.
3: Yeah, I think the other thing with food service as well, they've had to adapt so that they are delivering the experience rather than us having to go to the restaurants, because there's the problem that the virus hasn't gone away. So we're seeing it re-emerging across Europe. And although the US is in the middle of it now, until we get a vaccine, I think that our attitude is that most people will be very careful about going to any kind of crowded place, even though we're seeing that restaurants aren't necessarily those that have taken these health measures They're not necessarily where you're actually getting the repeat of the virus or catching the virus, but because of the way different authorities are dealing with this, that they are bearing the brunt. So they have had to adapt. And as Joe was saying, it's delivering meal kits or delivering what would be your restaurant experience, but delivering it to your home. So the thing is that we are actually cooking much more from home now. We do a tracker of 11 countries. And all of the responses are that consumers are preparing more meals at home. They are becoming more interested in recipes and cooking from scratch as well. So food service really has to tap into that to give them inspiration and innovation as well. One of the other things that has happened with food service is that their supply chain has been hit really hard because the suppliers to food service tend to deliver it in bulk. So when food service operations close down, then you've got a supply chain that's got a lot of fresh food, like meat and vegetables, for instance, especially the vegetables, are just not going to last. And it was difficult for them to sell direct to consumers, especially meat, because they have to repackage it. You're not going to buy a whole... (laughs) two or three lamb or beef or anything like that. So they also have had to adapt. A lot of them have started selling directly to consumers as well, which is probably something that is going to continue in the future. There's definitely this direct-to-consumer attitude across lots of suppliers to the industry now. They're actually cutting out the middleman and going direct to the consumer.
1: The next question I have kind of falls in line with what you just said as well. With the changes in the way that we interact with each other and no longer being as personalized in our consumer experiences as pre-pandemic, and with so much of what we're doing being through technology, we'd love to hear a little bit more from you about the marriage of technology and food retailing, including the growth of online purchasing. And in particular, whether the industries involved in that expansion have been able to keep up with consumer demands.
2: I think one of the key challenges that grocery retailers have faced, I think Maureen touched upon this previously, is that this need, this shift to online and digital has come at a point where you grocery retailers unawares, really. We have quite a large online grocery retail market in countries such as South Korea. The UK, for example, is quite highly penetrated online in grocery. And if we take the UK, for example, a lot of that growth in groceries has been very much driven by the fact that there was a new entrant into the market, an online-only retailer, half-retailer, half-tech company, which was very proactive, obviously received a lot of investment, has been loss-making or struggled to make a profit because it's really focused on its investment into growing its capacity. One of the big challenges that grocery retailers that have faced this year, once we got that acceleration in online demand, you know, which has been that growth for a number of years, is really ramping up that capacity. And one of the ways that they have done that is through making sure that they're on platforms, linking up with the likes of Big Basket, for example, and India, and really leveraging the platforms that are there that maybe are quite strong in food service, for example, to really fill some of those capacity gaps. That isn't the only thing that they've been doing. They've been looking at things like curbside delivery, etc., click and collect from stalls. But yeah, I think that's been a key focus in relation to fulfilling the greater capacity demands that there's been.
3: I think something to take into account when we're talking about technology is how big technology companies really want to get into food and grocery because it's the biggest sector wherever you are. And they're thinking of how they can do that. And you've seen that in India, for instance, which is a huge market, and it's like they've jumped over developing those big stores. They've gone from small stores to online almost because of covid and it's the way they were going anyway and looking at it from a point of view of tech and facebook is getting into it and alibaba in china was developing its own supermarkets where they were delivering within the region within half an hour so you could order from a local big supermarket their hema supermarkets and have it delivered within 30 minutes from that store and including That you could order the food that you want cooked for you as well. You could order cooked food and have it delivered. And it's just recently actually signed something like three billion. It's spent on Sunart, which is a big grocery chain throughout China. So you can see that the technology companies are tying up with food and grocery internationally because they can see how we're moving into online and how technology is really driving the market. Do you think as
4: a result of that, we're going to see some of the smaller grocery stores, mom and pops, produce suppliers, gourmet food locations start to fade into the night? Or will they learn how to utilize these platforms that are now being provided? They can be sophisticated enough and take advantage of the new insight into the consumers that may be interested in purchasing what they have to offer.
3: Yeah, I believe it is going to be that those local convenience stores are going to be able to join up in partnerships with technology companies. What do you think, Joe?
2: Yeah, I would agree. I think that this is one of the benefits that those smaller retailers will have from the fact that first party logistics and delivery and platforms or retailer run, obviously that's something that retailers across the globe are investing in. But there has been that need, as I mentioned, to leverage those third party logistics solutions and they've grown in popularity. And those platforms have been very proactive in getting local grocery retailers, local food service operators signed up to them. And really, I believe the increasing and the popularity of those platforms will actually help those local retailers. And also, one of the things that we did see through the early months of the pandemic was that switch to localism. Actually, some of these local operators, we used to use the UK, for example, there was an increasing demand for local butchers and fishmongers, for example, because they were well-placed, quite small and agile to meet rising demand. But at the same time, there was all these issues with, in terms of the global supply chain and, and cross-border oh. trade. This didn't really affect some of these local retailers' As much. And at the same time, we saw that across a number of different countries, there was increasing trust in local products and local retailers through that crisis. So actually, I think that through the last few months, what we've seen both from the local retailers getting these technology platforms, but also their greater agility, really points to quite a positive future for these operators.
3: Yeah, and one of the other factors that came out of the surveys that we've been doing, we were looking at post coronavirus now to see what the recovery is like. But what we're finding is that consumers still want to buy locally. They want to buy from stores locally, but they also are looking for local products as well, because I think that they've got more trust in that too. Uh So it does actually then raise the question whether we need these big out-of-town grocery stores, because you can buy online, you can get your major products from online just household products, major consumer products that you need, and then you can buy everything else locally. And I think that that is probably going to last for at least a couple of years because of the safety aspect as well. People will want to stay local. So it's going to really boost their local community.
4: In terms of that point, which is an interesting one that you raise with respect to trust, and wanting to buy local and the importance of feeling good about where you're purchasing from and who you're purchasing from. We've heard a lot about how that's playing out in the larger retail market. What is the importance of being a good corporate citizen and focusing on how these large companies want to help the public and focus on the environment and sustainability. How do you see this playing out now in the post-COVID market? Will this continue to be of increasing importance moving forward?
2: I think actually the coronavirus and the last few months have really shown the positive way. But I think one of the key changes between now and 5, 10 years ago is really the use of social media to create a narrative for different companies and how it can be used in a negative sense. You don't want to be a grocery chain that goes viral on Facebook or Twitter because of not handling a customer complaint properly or something wrong happening in terms of that sort of customer interaction. Because that is an instantaneous thing. And whereas 10, 15 years ago, it may have been that if it was something really serious, it would be a local newspaper and now it's seen by millions of people, potentially. Social media has had a big impact in terms of the potential negative aspect. But actually, for the last few months, I think that... It's really, shown the potential of it from a positive aspect as well. So lots of grocers, grocery chains, and a lot of brands as well responded to the lockdown and the hardships that both their shoppers and employees were facing very, very proactively. We've seen a number of grocers, both in the UK and the US, for example, introducing compassionate shopping hours to key workers and healthcare workers, vulnerable shoppers. And I think in the modern landscape, the modern communication landscape, that sort of investment, those sorts of initiatives can really boost the reputation of retail chains, probably more so than they ever could do in the past.
3: Yeah, I agree with that.
1: I want to follow up on that thought because Steph and I were thinking along the same lines. Before the pandemic struck, we saw food makers and retailers increasing involvement in environmental and sustainability initiatives. Including in the ways in which foods are being harvested, packaged and delivered. But when COVID-19 struck and with it issues concerning food supply and access and sanitation and safety, it felt like public concern for things like single use cartons, plastic shopping bags, and even cleaning and chemical solutions became less important as environmental risks than pre pandemic. But now as we're entering this post COVID environment, Do you see that companies are able to regain their positions or maybe for some to establish positions that balance public health risk with environmental sustainability concerns in the ways that they're producing, packaging and selling food?
3: Yeah, I think that's still a concern for consumers. Obviously, as we're heading for a lot more unemployment, then there's always that issue of have you got the budget to be altruistic? But I think that there is such a raised profile on sustainability, on plastic pollution, on where our food comes from, things like palm oil, et cetera. There's much more raised consciousness of what we're doing to the environment. And consumers, especially younger consumers, are very conscious of that. And you are seeing that food retailers are taking much more notice of their supply chain, their packaging. Also, there is that health issue that if we're ordering more food online or getting it from food service is about having tamper-proof packaging. Of course, there's a lot more packaging that's being used, but it tends to be paper packaging and it's the plastic that they're trying to reduce in the supply chain. It's very, very difficult, but having the recycling I think this is definitely not going to go away. You're seeing lots of retailers now bringing that much more to the fore. There's more about on the non-food side about recycling and resale and hire as well. But it is something that's very much aware amongst consumers. And as Joe was saying on social media, that means it raises the profile even more.
2: I think also the investment into a sustainable, environmentally focused strategy and the development of that strategy is something that many companies have been working through for a number of years and many of them are taking it very seriously they've got specialists internally teams internally really dealing with these issues and to go back to my point about social media and the fact that actually it's allowed shoppers to see through half-hearted attempts quite easily and it's harder for companies really to greenwash shoppers in the same way that previously they may have been able to not suggesting that many of them were means that actually they've just taken it very very seriously a lot of them have got initiatives they've got targets they're trying to hit. And of course, this year we've seen a halt to that and a focus on tamper-proof packaging, as Maureen mentioned, and packaging that sometimes can supersede environmental concerns. I don't think that's going to knock major global brands and retailers off course in relation to their long-term targets.
4: Well, that's a very interesting point. Let's take that to a different level in terms of the consumer's buying behavior. Whereas pre-COVID, the big driver and seller was to be in the market of health and wellness and organic and natural and clean. And then through the course of COVID, a lot of focus has been on being sanitized and sterile and being able to kill germs. And those things are not always consistent with the original plan for things from the earth and natural without pesticides. Given that competing drive in consumer behavior, just as you were discussing the impact on packaging, do you think that will in some way impact consumer buying behavior moving forward in any way away from natural or health and wellness?
3: I think there's still a very, very big concern about health and wellness. We've seen that anyway on the fact that we're all working from home, but that everybody's buying bikes for home and gym kits for home. And the fact that we're cooking more at home and cooking for ourselves is also having a control of what you're eating. I think there's still a big concern about that. The point of view of sanitised and health is more about the contact as well, the kind of contact you have. So we're seeing that when you are going in stores now, everybody wearing masks, you want to make sure that all the trolleys you're using, your hands are sanitised. Which is why there's been so much increase in the sales of household products that are sanitizers, cleansers, anything that's keeping your home or your actual personal space sanitized is what people are concerned about. Uh But then when it comes to the food, I think they obviously don't want organic food that's going to make you ill or be produced in a way that isn't going through a supply chain that is unhealthy because it's not safe. So I think it's more the safe environment, but they still want to have, they're still concerned about having good food and healthy food and are looking for organic. And all those trends that were there before are still there, but they want it to be delivered in a safer environment.
1: So talking to our clients that are food retailers, what does your research and your experience tell you about what they can expect for the food retailing landscape in 2021?
2: If we're taking the grocery market, we would expect that the big trends this year has been that rapid hyper acceleration of the online trend, the switch to online channels. Now, we anticipate that there'll be a slowdown next year and maybe even a slight decline year on year in online grocery spend, although it's probably worth highlighting that the 2021 expenditure on online grocery is going to be significantly higher than what it would have been if we hadn't gone through this pandemic this year. So that's one thing. I think that's here to stay. I think apart from that, I just think that there is... A lot of uncertainty. We're talking now about second waves and there is a hope that there's going to be a vaccine towards the end of this year, early next year, which maybe helps to facilitate a return to normal life. But there's no guarantee of that. We could be going to third waves, fourth waves. This could be something that we have to deal with for quite a while yet. So from the consumer perspective, We know that regardless of what happens, many shoppers are going to be under financial pressure, there's going to be rising unemployment, they're going to be watching what they spend. And that's going to not only hit those more discretionary non-food categories and those leisure and food service operators, but it's also going to hit grocery chains as well. You're looking to cut down wherever you can and grocery operators are going to have to respond to that proactively.
3: Yeah, I think that sums it up very well, So, With our forecasts, we're obviously seeing we're not getting the kind of growth that you've had this year because there was a lot of stockpiling. The food sector was taking from other sectors as well, like health and beauty, for instance, and some of the general merchandise sectors was going to food retailers because those non-essential stores weren't open. Of course, as Joe was saying, if there's still uncertainty that the virus is still around, there's obviously a hope that sometime in Q1 there will be a vaccine and things will start to return to more of a, a normal, I think people will start going back to physical stores. But the actual online penetration is still going to remain higher than it ever was in 2019, although online growth will not be anywhere near like it was this year the penetration will still be high. So there's still that need to invest in online, in food and grocery. But it will begin to settle back down again. And it is going to be tough because you can see that so many people are going to be losing their jobs and losing a lot of the support that they've had from governments up till now because governments are going to be running out of the incentive and support packages that they've been supplying all through this year. So I think it's going to be tough on prices. People will be looking definitely for value. Of course, that squeezes margins. So it's going to be the leanest and the fittest and the most innovative that are going to be the winners.
1: Really interesting.
4: Yeah, this was a terrific conversation. Thank you both for all of the intelligence you've clearly gathered throughout your work. I think it's very informative and useful and we appreciate it.
1: Definitely. Many thanks to Maureen Hinton and Joe Robinson of Global Data. Your insight was particularly helpful today, and we look forward to connecting with you again.
2: It's nice to speak to you, Brooke.
1: Yeah, thank you very
3: much.
0: All information, content, and materials contained in this podcast are for general informational purposes only. This podcast is intended to be a general overview of the subjects discussed and does not create a lawyer-client relationship. Statements and opinions are those of the individual speakers and participants and do not necessarily reflect the policies or opinions of DLA Piper LLP US. The information contained in this podcast is not and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice. No listener should act or refrain from acting with respect to any particular legal matter on the basis of this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. This podcast may qualify as lawyer advertising, requiring notice in some jurisdictions. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. DLA Piper LLP US accepts no responsibility for any actions taken or not taken as a result of this podcast.